Hey, this is Richard Solomon. Greetings from the Javits Center. 2017, this is Book Expo. We'll be exploring some great things, so keep it locked here on uh, Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. All right, greetings from Book Expo 2017. So I'm wearing, yeah, you can't see it, but I'm wearing my Lulu hat, right? Now, because I'm a Lulu author, and of course, who do I see? The Lulu people! All right, so let's go. You are Chelsea? I am Chelsea Bennett, yeah. I'm okay, the, and what do you do? I'm the events coordinator and um, PR person for Lulu Press. All right, cool. And then you are? I'm Lalita Zamowski. I do our digital marketing. All right, so I'm walking along. I see you guys. You see the hat. All right, so it's like, you know, they say in Yiddish, Bashir. It's, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. So I got, I got all the radio equipment, and the first people I see is Lulu. So tell me about what you're, what you're doing as far as social media and the show, and then I'm going to ask you, more questions about the show itself. Yeah, no problem. We're just really excited to be here. This personally is my first time here, so just meeting Lulu authors, trying to talk to other publishers, and and just kind of let people know what we're about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you're the social media person with the posts? Yeah. So you're going to say, hey, Rich Solomon, Lulu oh, I am Lulu writing guy. it as we speak, actually. So we right. will definitely give you a nice shout-out. We are so nice. It's so and, nice to meet you. And, and, if, and if, I'll give you my... I'll give you my business card, and then I'll, I'll give you my YouTube link for this segment. Perfect. All right, so, Chelsea, so what's your role in all of this? So, I actually coordinated the event. So, I got... All right, so you got all the booths here? And the, everyone and the te- everyone and, came through me. And the Teamsters? Me. All the Teamsters, all the famous people you see here, I know. They're friends of mine. So, yeah, no, so I coordinated our presence here. So, we're from Raleigh, North Carolina. So, we got everybody out here together. Thankfully, all of our booth assets and stuff, all of our swag arrived. So, that's super exciting. You, you do have cool swag. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you do. Thank you, you do. for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah, so we're just trying to you know, get people excited and learn about Lulu. And like like Wally said, we're happy to be here and be meeting our authors. Well, the best thing about trade show swag mm-hmm. is when you come home with the giant bag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you go, and you go, oh, look. And like, you know, I'll say my, like, you know, my father, hey, I got this book on World War II for you. Yeah, hey, my mom, hey, I got this, this book about Turkish coffee for you. That's and then, right. you know, hey, I'll say to my wife, hey, I got this book. Hey, to the kids, hey, I got this thing. For you. And everybody's like, wow, you know. You and you know. can get all your Christmas shopping done here. It's right, right, exactly. Right. And of course, now, now you guys aren't giving out the Lulu hats this year. No, and you oh, know what? Man. We're going to have to get new ones because it has our old logo on it. So we're going to ah. have to get new, new ones. But yeah, we will have new stuff coming out. I happen to have the orange hat, the blue hat, and the beige hat. Oh my gosh. So, we so, love so, that. so I have all three hats. It's just that. In terms of color coordination, oh, yeah. for today, you know, because I am—I believe it or not—I have a court appearance. I'm an—I'm an attorney, so I have a court appearance at two. So I figure this was the most lawyer-like hat of the collection. Orange was just a little too edgy for the courthouse. You know? Next round of hats with our new logo. We'll send one oh, there you, you go. Oh, there yeah. you go. So, have you met any Lulu authors yet? We have actually, uh, serendipitous. What's the Yiddish word for it again? Oh, no, a Beshert. Beshert, mean intended. Yeah. Beshert. Beshert. B A S H E R T. Beshert. Yeah. So, actually, diagonally from us is one of our authors who's here from Australia, and um, she has used us to print her books, and the publisher that she uses uses us to print her books. And so, yeah, just very serendipitous that she came over and introduced herself, and we're happy to put some of her books on her table and, and get her some, uh, some experience. That way, so had I known, I would have printed I know, a pile, and you know, well, you gotta keep your book on you at all times. I, you know, I know that, this, number one. 
this this year I brought my DVD oh. because you know you can only carry so much. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. much lighter. Yeah, yeah. But we say the book is a business card, so you got to bring it when you can. Well, I brought business cards. But the problem is, in years past, I used to bring piles of books, and I felt like a pack animal. Right, yeah, you know, yeah. I felt like a you know sort of like a mule or a camel. You know. Oh yeah, no, I know. especially when it's getting warm in New York, you don't want to be schlepping all that stuff around. So exactly. That's a good. That's a good year. schlepping. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so how how have you enjoyed the New York? part of the show meaning the outside the Javits Center okay. oh it's been great I mean, any amazing food or anything like that yeah yeah we did we uh where, where, where did we go yesterday the place with the food court place yeah, like, like Gotham Market Gotham Market yeah I think yeah. it was like a food court but they have all kinds of stuff Lolly got some delicious sushi burritos uh, sushi burritos wow yeah, it was yeah, so great wow. yeah <laughs> so we had some tacos some smoothies everything's been great yeah we're having a really nice time I will hope, enjoy the nightlife and and uh, have a great show. Thank All right, you. so thank go, go Lulu. Yeah, yeah. Wait, and of course, how do we end the segment? What's the website? Oh, Lulu.com. Right, L U L U. Right, L U L U. dot Lulu. com. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank there you. There you go. All right, continuing at Book Expo 2017. I'm with Kathy Jewell from the American, the American Academy of Pediatrics. So those are pretty cool guys. All right. And I'm looking at a book that like just had my name on it. It's called The Picky Eater Project. Tell me about this book. So this is a this is a book for parents who have kids who will not eat food or healthy food at least. That's what I have those. You have those. <laughs> so the the authors we have two authors. One is a, a pediatrician and one is a, a cook. She's actually a famous cook. And they put together a book that's not only recipes that will help kids um, learn to love healthy foods because you can put them in the kitchen with you and you have them uh, cook with you and shop with you and it just makes it a lot of fun. Um, but this is um, also a book that allows parents to kind of understand the developmental milestones that kids reach. You want to start them at least in toddlerhood and getting them used to different kinds of foods, healthy foods, um, and introducing foods to them they might not love, but keep introducing them to them. Um, and it kind of takes them through six, six weeks, starting with cleaning out your pantry, making sure that you've got the healthy stuff in front, and then not so healthy. Well, that's a cool idea. Right, yeah. right. And same with the refrigerator, but just making sure the snacks, uh, the kind of the junk food snacks, aren't readily available to them. Um, and then taking them on shopping excursions and having them pick out healthy foods and vegetables and then cooking with them in the kitchen. And by the end of the six weeks, hopefully, you've got kids who are much more willing to try healthy foods and aren't so um, reliant on the stuff they can, you know, get out of a granola bar. Or not, that's not even that bad. But, you know, just generally foods, fast foods and things like that that aren't healthy for them. My little ones, when you show them things like I bought this vitamin that had, like, vegetables in it, mm-hmm. I showed it to them. And I'm like, come on, come on, like, it's a green gorilla, come on, it's fun. They, they go like this, they're like, yeah. no thanks. Like, no, once as, I know it's vegetables, yeah. Well, as as yeah. if there was like strychnine and arsenic, you know, it's the right, two main right. ingredients. Yeah. you got to start them really young. They've got to be exposed to it very early. They've got to see you eating healthy foods too, that's important. Um, and just making sure that you keep an environment that's conducive to that. And you have to get even like um, grandparents and uh, other members of the family involved, making sure that everybody's sort of on board with this because if... You know, they go to a, even a friend's house. You have to kind of convince the neighbors that, you know, you want to keep healthy foods in the house and uh, just basically have a healthy environment all around. All right. So while we're here, let's take a look at some of the other titles that you're okay. showcasing this week. 
at Book Expo 2017 at the New York City Javits Center. What are we, what are we looking at? Well, so the American Academy of Pediatrics um, uh, publishes not only for parents, but for pediatricians. And we do have uh, a number of books that are for clinicians, so it's not going to be kind of interesting to the general public. But for parents, um, we have a number of new titles that are coming out. We just came out with um, a Spanish version of this book, Caring for Your Baby and Young Child. This is our flagship title. That's everything you need to know from birth, uh, from age zero to age five. And we've translated that into Spanish. And that came out about six months ago. We're doing the same thing for your baby's first year right over there. That's going to be available in Spanish. We're supposed to be ready for the show, but it's a little bit late. So unfortunately, I don't have it here for you. Um, but that's great for that audience. Um, the guide to toilet training is relatively new. I don't know how old your kids are. You we just it. survived that, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. It involves... Um, <clears throat> finding a chocolate treat which probably there you go. <laughs> which is not good for the picky eater project it was, it was good see it was good for the it guy the toilet yeah, it was good right. for one thing and bad for another right, right, gotcha. <laughs> um so let's see what else tell me have? about uh, dad to dad and mommy calls those two dad to dad is written by dr david hill um and he is really funny if you read his book i don't think the cover really says how funny he is but he makes it really interesting to dads to be, to be part of the family sometimes dads feel left out because frankly a lot of what we do we talk to moms a lot but we dad gets kind of left out so he's really trying, wants to make it um he wants dads to be part of the whole parenting process so okay. um he kind of gives it the dad perspective that, um, that's a very unique perspective as far as books go mm-hmm, you know so that's mm-hmm. so to dr hill hey thanks for doing there that there you go and then, and then actually i'm going to talk about baby and toddler basis which okay. is our newest book it's, it's going to be by dr um dr tanya altman and she has been collecting over the years she's been in practice kind of the most popular questions from parents because they do ask a lot of the same questions oh, yeah. over and over again and she put them into a book format it's only about 150 questions um it will be coming out in february of this year and you'll probably see her on the today show because she's, oh, she's on the doctors right now as we speak today oh wow so, yeah so you'll right. see her and then this is her book mommy calls right that was her previous title so that's the top 101 questions so now we're going to, to 150 that is correct so I'm, I'm curious as to the difference of the, the new 49 <laughs> they will they will be important and there's you know new things happen all the time i mean there's new things happening in the world with I'm trying to think of off the top of my head. I can't think of anything. But. Let's talk about this because this is kind of a, 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 a timely topic. Okay. Uh, Parents' Guide to Childhood Obesity. Uh, you know, we see that all over the place. And, I mean, if you look at me, I'm not exactly thin. <laughs> so, long, long time ago I was. but so It happens I'm, to the best of us, yes. <laughs> so, um, this is by uh, Dr. Hessink. Dr. Hessink, right. She's a past president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And, and what's sort of the... The, the gist of, of this book and how does that relate to the picky eater project well um i think picky eaters are a little bit different than this book is really for kids who eat are eating too much or, or really aren't getting enough exercise and it's all about balance right that's her big thing is making sure that you know you know energy in energy out basically if you eat you know x number of calories you got to work it off or you're going to gain weight it's very simple and very straightforward um and it's it's not gimmicky at all it's a very straightforward book and it's an important um educational book to get parents to understand what nutrition is all about and how important exercise is for kids so if people want to go to your website what's the website uh the website um well we have one for parents called healthychildren.org oh that's cool healthychildren.org right and there is uh, links from that website to our um what we call shop aap which is where you can buy all of our parenting and pediatric uh, clinical titles oh great all right so welcome to new york and thank you thank you very much in my house there's a need for a tooth fairy expert and we are short <laughs> because because when i checked the database for tooth fairy experts i had to come to aisle 2000 at book expo and you are i'm jennifer, jennifer why don't you come out here so we can talk uh sure. without having to reach with the equipment so are you the tooth fairy meister 
We are the two okay. Meisters. Okay, so you're a Meister too. What, what's your name? Uh, my name is Terry Murray. Okay. Now, did, did you grow up in Tooth Fairy Land or something? Uh, my <laughs> husband grew up in Tooth Fairy Land. <laughs> I was going to say, how, how does one get special access? You know, usually you need like a, a, a special badge. badge or a swipe card or. <laughs> When you're born, um, the tooth fairies come and they give you that special pass. Tell, tell me about the process here. So when you're born, you're, you're, I heard you're assigned your own tooth fairy? You're assigned your own tooth fairy. Wow. Okay. And, um, but they, you don't see them until you grow up and you have your first wiggly tooth because they have to go through schooling and practice of flying through storms and not being detected by dogs and getting flushed down the drain. They have to go through all that protocol, and they also have to find their way to your house. Right. So, so they need... GPS training and survival training. Okay, well. (laughs) And um, then once you have your first wiggly tooth, that's when you'll meet your tooth fairy and get to name it for the first time. Oh, you got to meet, you you name your tooth fairy. I had no idea. Oh, I'm so in the dark. (laughs) Um, Mine's name is Abigail. Abigail, okay. She's been with me for a long time. And when um, your tooth falls out, she takes it back to Tooth Fairy Land, and then... For, um, for repair? Maintenance? Um, <laughs> for celebration. Yes. Oh, for celebration. celebration. There you go. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. And Here's then when the next tooth falls out, she comes back. So she goes back and forth till you've lost all your teeth. And some people wonder, you know, what she does with those teeth, and you have to read the end of the book to find that out. Uh, so, okay. So for the adults, if I'm in a barroom fight and I lose some teeth, does the Tooth Fairy come, or that's yeah, just a different... Tooth Fairy <laughs> named Butch that comes to all the barroom fights. from the professor... <laughs> Oh wow! I know what's the professor's name. He's the, he's the guy that teaches the all tooth fairies all the. Yeah, yes. That's very interesting. So, what was the inspiration? Obviously, we all lose our teeth, but there must have been a sort of like oh aha or wow or. Our this- children, basically. Um, I have a ten-year-old daughter now, and it originated with her. Um, my husband used to write her poems when she was losing her teeth, and um, he would always attach a picture to it. When she got a little... Oh, a picture of the tooth fairy or the picture uh, yeah, of the tooth? A picture. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And she was on his computer when she was around six and a half, and it popped up. So she's like, what's my tooth fairy doing on your computer? And with that, he thought... Cyber, cyber crime. Exactly. <laughs> she was um, attached to this particular clip art, so we conceived that, and then we um, joined together with our best friends who also had daughters. And we tested it with our daughters who still have their tooth fairy, Ella and Rosabella. Um, they're very attached to them. Um, and we were also inspired through um, just how our family rallies around this milestone moment with your children. Um, we, I will admit, we had a great experience with Elf on the Shelf in our family, and um, we wanted to create something, a similar experience, but um, definitely not the same, where ours is here to comfort you and touch you, and you can touch it, play with it, bring it to school. It's not here to frighten you. It, it's, it's so awesome, because I'm going through this right, right now, oh, yeah. and yeah, um, we've had some teeth, you know, and we're, we're at the point where the one over here mm-hmm. is like all wiggly. It's not, it's not really ready, right. it's, like, <laughs> it's on the verge. Put your tongue under it a little bit, lift it up, move it around. So yeah, yeah. so this will help me explain. I'm going to actually play this tape awesome. <laughs> for my little ones. Fantastic. You know, so that's cool. Um, very exciting. So, so this is the boy and the girl tooth fairies? Yes. yes, and it's like a whole survival kit. So you get the, the story that explains why their whole purpose, and then you get choice of boy or a girl you have your 10 note cards and 10 stickers because every child loves to share their experience the day after they lose their tooth so it's their little badge of honor well it was really funny my my brother has some older uh, children and apparently the tooth the, the tooth fairy helper was caught in the act oh, <laughs> that's a tough one. which was a big big disappointment yeah. <laughs> now i happen to have from my mother my mother gave me my tooth fairy little it was, it was a little Hello. pocket like they made like a little pocket 
out of like I guess um, I guess kind of like a flannel type material, and it's, and it's stitched, and it's a pocket, and it has a picture of a you know like a, a tooth on it. So I, I still have that. And I have that in my office. So you know, so, so so yeah, because you know, let's face it, you know, it's I. And what's interesting is as my little ones are going through the tooth fairy thing now it kind of reminds me of when I remember like sticking my tongue in my mouth and trying to you know wiggle it out you know and, and then you're like mm, you know and, and, and then it, the question is like at what point do you, do you tug it out or you just let it just yeah you know so which is a whole other thing because again this is such a milestone moment and we have such permanent memories of going through this and with the world today and social sharing and families not being able to be so close to each other anymore, it's also a great way to share these experiences in Facebook, on Instagram, and with your friends and your family. So Absolutely. does the Tooth Fairy have an Instagram account with all the pictures of the teeth? We do. <laughs> we do. Yeah. That's very we cool. We encourage you to go to it, and when um, each child who gets one to post their picture of it with we are, their Tooth Fairy. We like to celebrate like with you. We want to know what their name we is, and we want to know little traditions that you guys come save up on your own. All right. Well, thank you very much. What's the website? www.mybtff.com. And what is BTFF's best tooth fairy friend? My best tooth fairy yeah, friend. My best tooth, yeah, the BTFF. All right, BTFF, best tooth fairy friend. My B- All right, cool. All right, so if you're at Book, if you're at Book Expo America, come to aisle 2000, sort of near the autograph section. Hey, this is Jeff Matson, the Dark Star Orchestra, and you're listening to Richard Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. One of the best books, at least one of the best books, in my opinion, in the show, has been a book about sugar detox. You are Summer Rain Oaks. All right, and what's the name of your book? Sugar Detox Me. Now that is a great book because it, it's got all kinds of stuff. It's got beautiful pictures. It's really well detailed, and you probably spent a long time putting it together. I took about a, a year and a half, but I started about four years ago doing my own kind of personal detox, and it was a real personal journey for me. And um, and as I started to write about it, other people started to write in who had like prediabetes or a diabetic, and I realized then that this book was not just for me; it's for for more people. See this? Yeah. <laughs> it needs a it needs a going out of business sale. <laughs> so, I need, so I'm going to be inspired. Maybe I'll be your before picture. I you know it's it's actually I've had a lot of people send me before and after pictures, but sometimes it's not even pictures. Sometimes it's like being able to reverse the trend of diabetes or anything along those lines. And I was just chatting with somebody that, like, when I was born in the 1980s, diabetes was known as adult-onset diabetes, diabetes 2, that is. And now it, it, it afflicts, like, kids, you know, teenagers, adults, and we're starting to see non-alcoholic fatty liver and kids who are six months old. And you start to realize that this is not, you can't put a six-month-old on a treadmill. It's, it, you know? Well, you can, but it's not, it's, 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 it's not probably yeah. it's probably against certain laws. Yeah, it might, might be become a big YouTube uh, you know, like it might become viral on YouTube if you did that, but um, you'd begin to realize that this is all related back to our diet. So, Sugar Detox Me is uh, about a third of it is a guide, and the other two thirds is cookbook. And it's really practical, easy to follow meals because it's hard enough to get sugar out of our diets, and it's important to have a foundation to come back to. And you don't want to be doing complicated recipes, you want to be doing something that builds into your lifestyle every day. Well, for me, I, you know, I always want to know what could I eat because you want to eat something fast. You don't want to eat processed food. You don't want to eat salty food. You don't want to eat fried food. I try not to eat too much meat because you know you want to stay away from all the hormones and back and the antibiotics and all the other stuff. So the question is, after a while, is what can you eat? Because at some point, you're not supposed to have dairy. You're not supposed to have salt. You're not supposed to have sugar. You're not supposed to have processed flour. Um, you're supposed to have fried things. So my question is, what's left? And yeah. I really think that there's a lot. If you look at the cornucopia of like whole foods out there, I mean, the reality, just within the last like 20 years, we've lost 
94% of our seeds that could have actually been food. And I think that we've really generalized our diet to the point of like just the foods that we see in the supermarket. But I always actually try to make an, an, an em- emphasis on like going to the farmer's market if I'm there and getting something that I might have never eaten before because farmers won't grow it if we don't have it. And the reality is, you know, even though this is called sugar detox me, for me, it's like a lens into reinvigorating ourselves and reintroducing ourselves to whole foods again and how to how to cook. I think that we've just kind of like lost that. So for me, I hope that this is like building confidence in the kitchen as much as it is solving a a real health crisis. But but is it also, isn't sugar just an addictive substance in a way? It is. I mean, and I think that there's um, the idea of, and the concept of around addiction is, uh, is an easy one to say, but I think that, you know, scientists are still on the fence with it. And I think part of it is they're on the fence also because they're being pushed by, by lobbyists. And I've talked to a really wonderful woman by the name of Ashley Gearhart, who looked at the Yale food addiction scale. She's the one who like created it. Now she's at the university of Michigan and I talked to her about it and she goes well you know sugar doesn't go past the blood brain barrier like in alcohol for instance but we made the point that well you know what neither does gambling and in, in, in 2014 gambling became viewed as an addiction what we do know with sugar is that it stimulates our brain centers in the in the cerebral cortex and it light, lights up our dopamine and our serotonin in our stomachs and this actually creates the the a dependent the feel good thing yeah the feel good thing and it's, it's part of like what we have as a, a dependence and or addiction. So part of the book actually goes through the Yale Food Addiction Scale. And you could start to see the symptoms that you have. So, for instance, I might be visually stimulated when I see a milkshake. And I would go out of my way to get that milkshake. Whereas somebody else might not. So you start to see what symptoms that you yourself personally have. And then you could see on the food addiction scale where you fall, whether you're light, moderate, or heavy, heavily dependent on, on sugar. And I think this is really great because then you can almost like self-diagnose yourself and then try to figure out the strategies that are right for you personally. The countermeasures. Yeah, yeah. indeed. The starchy foods affect us slightly differently than regular sugar. So, for instance, people who are actually more prone to depression, for instance, will try to eat more starch because starch directly affects our serotonin. And serotonin is, 95% of it is, is created in our in our stomachs, which we don't think about it, but it's in something called the enteric nervous system, which is like our second brain. And that actually makes us feel safe and comfortable. Whereas sugar, sugar, if you're thinking about like fructose or agave nectar or whatever, it basically, you know, hits us differently with the dopamine hit. So, you know, it's almost sometimes like what your body is is needing. And, and people who have to get off bread, sometimes they find that when they're doing a sugar detox, and of course starch turns into a sugar, especially if it's processed food, it goes into a sugar much more quickly. So people coming off of that oftentimes will take a 5-HTP or a tryptophan, which is a natural way for you to get to serotonin. Um, because 5-HTP is the precursor to serotonin. Um, uh, tryptophan is, is a precursor to, ser- uh, to 5-HTP, and then 5-HTP is then the precursor to serotonin as well. So these are sometimes that, the, the bridge that helps you when you're doing a sugar detox, and that's something that you could actually talk to your nutritionist about because, you know, you will go through those withdrawal symptoms, but once you're off of it, that you could start to taste things differently. But it is easy for us to slide back into it because it's around us every day, so that's why I tell people it's about having the good foundation and hopefully sugar Sugar Detox Me is that foundation for people. I have noticed, like, for example, you're good, you're good, you're good. I don't know, you're in Penn Station, you're hungry, you grab a slice of pizza, and then the train is just completely derailed. Yeah, and you know what? And I, I find, like, even at, like, um, conference meetings or anything, people have Bagel Tuesdays. You know, if you have if you have people coming in, they have pastries. It's so ubiquitous. It is around us every day. And I actually walked the halls of Expo West in my last book signing. 
And I said, you know what? You could fill your kitchen coffers with the things at Expo West, and it's like the Natural Products Expo. It's like the largest natural products expo, like, and I have like quotations around natural products. And I said, you know, I'm not going to come home with anything that has sugar in it. I have to tell you that 95% of the stuff on that floor had added sugar. And I ended up coming home with, like, tea bags because tea bags <laughs> didn't have the added sugar. It's unbelievable what, what we, we see in our food these days. So what is the best psychological strategy for people? They read your book. and What, what should they do to kind of glue all the information together from a psychological point of view? From a psychological point of view, and I, I really gathered up my... Um, you know everything for to psycho- psychologically do this for myself is feel as if it's like an adventure and get excited don't look at it as something that you're re- getting rid of your body like i tell people that like if you're an alcoholic if you're doing a detox from alcohol it's not a diet it's getting rid of something that's a toxic substance that's toxic to you over time it's the same thing for sugar you know at that end of the day so it, it's it's important that you're removing these things in order to allow yourself to taste real food again that tomato that heirloom brandy wine tomato is going to taste monumentally different once you give your, yourself the time two weeks three weeks whatever it takes you in order to be able to taste that food again the, the real flavors and the nuances of flavors and you're going to be thanking yourself afterwards you know that reminds me of, I've, I've never smoked but people who gave up smoking say that after a while you begin to taste food again yeah indeed and actually it was really crazy that one of my friends who's also a cookbook author um and she wrote something about like the slow slow loss of foods we love she actually you know had recently gotten divorced fell into depression and she started taking antidepressants and had found that she could and she's indian she's like i couldn't taste any of my food all my food tasted bad She's like, I had, it, it was flavorless. And she's eating like curries, like green curries and red curries and, and all the food that her mom used to cook her. And she's like, I don't really get this. And she had discovered that even certain drugs, like the depressants she was taking, actually reduced her flavor for food. So she ended up getting off the antidepressants and dealing with it in a very different kind of way. And I thought that was like so empowering to see that like we, we're taking things into our system that completely change our taste buds. But the empowering fact about it is that taste buds change over time and we have the ability to be able to do that and when I found that I had a sugar tooth my mom said something that was really revelatory to me she said that when I was pregnant with you I craved oranges and she would have pounds of oranges and eat drink orange juice like crazy and she didn't have those types of swings with my brother when she was pregnant with him and I was like huh I wonder if that can influence like the the sweet tooth I always had and you know what as I was doing the research, it absolutely does. And even what your grandfather and your grandmother ate can affect it. So I looked at this as from the standpoint of like, what we're eating now actually can affect our grandchildren and probably more after that. And that's not their choice. So we're making the health decisions for generations after us without their, without them even knowing it. And that's when I realized that if diabetes swung this way and has become the largest healthcare crisis, it's been it's the most taxing on our healthcare over the last ten years. I realized that if this is the case, then you know what, we're going into a massive healthcare crisis um, in the future. And so I'd like to see that this book could offer a preventative approach to the way that we're dealing with our diseases. Do you have a website for the book? I do. It's sugardetox.me, and on the website I do uh, ten day and thirty day guided cleanses for people. So it's a nice compliment with the book. All righty. You've been very gracious with your time. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. We are in aisle 800. Okay. Because I have to have people know where they're going. All right. So we're at the Javits Center. We're at the Naval Institute Press, which we review every year. And I'm happy to have Robin Noonan here from Annapolis, Maryland, because what's in Annapolis? 
U.S. Naval Academy. <laughs> All right, so what are we featuring this year? Um, this year, I'll talk about three of our um, lead titles. The first is Operation Blackmail, One Woman's Covert War Against the Imperial Japanese Army by Ann Todd. This is a September publication. It's a hardcover title, and um, it is the story of OSS operator Elizabeth McIntosh, who um, worked in the uh, field of what was called at the time black espionage. Um, She served in the China-Burma-India theater, which she termed the confused CBI, confused beyond imagination. She served... I worked worked there. (laughs) She served alongside Julia Child and uh, Paul Child, um, alongside Margaret Mead and Mr. Mead, who I'm sure he had his good traits but wasn't uh, as notable. Um, And... Um, uh, her her shtick, um, understanding Japanese uh, the Japanese language and culture was to was subterfuge. She wanted to get inside the minds of the Imperial Japanese Army and um, uh, twist them around, around so doubt, you know, just to take them off their A game and to make them wonder. And today at the show, we're giving away these matchbooks um, because one of the things that she would do would be to um, put hidden put messages in matchbooks and, you know, uh, plant them in the, in the hands of the Japanese. She, oftentimes, she never knew if her plot was successful or not. Well, we won the war. <laughs> yeah, we, we did. But, um, you know, this was a tactic of hers. Um, moving right along. Just, just as a side note, uh, one of my recent guests was Milton Pike, who in World War II was the gentleman who printed up the Japanese surrender documents. Wow. September 2, 1945, signed in Tokyo Bay. He made a bunch. I actually saw the two extras that he kept in his home. Cool. <laughs> and that's cool. a bunch. We have um, pre-publication blurbs from H.W. H.W. Brands, who's a New York Times best-selling author, and we have it on good intel that oh, intel <laughs> intel what we're mailing galleys to um, some former high ups at the CIA because um, Betty McIntosh, the subject of this book, is near and dear to their hearts. She lived to be a hundred years old. She died about a. Year year and a half, two years ago, and get this, she was sharp until the very end. She thought there somebody really ought to um, look at, face, uh, at weaponizing Facebook to get inside the minds of ISIS. Wow. So, you know, this is, this is um, a, a hot book for us. And just for the people, just for background, uh, OSS was the precursor to the CIA. It was the, op- the office of, what was it, strategic? Secret, um, isn't it secret service? Uh, well, whatever it was, they were the precursor to the CIA. The CIA kind of came after World War II. That's right. But all of the famous agents from the CIA that started the, the had their, their roots in OSS. And um, a, a tidbit was, um, because these people were, I think the term she used, art was, were kind of artsy-fartsy. Um, you know, they were, they were linguists, they were artists, they were painters, um, and, and somebody knew you um, joined them, and he said, I'm joining the oh-so-social <laughs> Okay. What else are we looking at? Uh, next, we're looking at gambling and war, gambling and war um, risk, reward, and chance in international conflict. This is written by Justin Conrad, and the uh, takeaway here is this book is like taking a war college course at a Las Vegas casino. 
Justin Conrad um, has written this book, which stands on its own, but would be perfect uh, in course, you know, for course use for international relations, military strategy, you know, risk, reward, probability, um, looking at chess, cards, um, et cetera, et cetera. And he's created a guide for instructors to use this book in uh, military strategy courses. This is an October publication. Right, so what are we looking at on the bookshelf over here? Okay, on the bookshelf, Leader's Bookshelf by Admiral James Stavridis, uh, retired from the U.S. Um, Navy. Admiral Stavridis uh, was the, let me get this correct, he was the 16th Supreme Allied Commander at NATO, and he is currently the Dean of of the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. Admiral Stavridis and his co-author, uh, R. Manning Ansel, um, for years polled military brass um, as well as management uh, higher-ups and asked them, what were the books that made you the successful leaders, the successful women and men um, that you are? So this book is a compilation of of those titles. I just, you know, for instance, turn to From Beirut to Jerusalem by Thomas L. Friedman. And um, this particular title was recommended by Admiral G- um, Michael Mullen. Um, uh, so this is this is their secret library of exactly, success books. Exactly. What you got from it and a favorite quote. Um, so, it, you know, for anybody who wants to sort of pursue a management um the management field and wants to bone up on his or her literature, this is a really good primer on what he or she might want to um, read. Here we have Cyberspace in Peace and War by Martin uh, C. Labicki. Martin Labicki is the go-to specialist for all things cyber. He is um, a he is with the Rand Corporation and he is also the Mary Ellen and Richard Kaiser Distinguished Visiting Professor in Cybersecurity Studies at the US Naval Academy. This is a soup to nuts book on cyber. Um, excellent as a textbook, but it also stands on its own. And um, the reviews, the early reviews have been exceptional. Um, Strategy Bridge said years from now, people will regard this book as, you know, the gold standard. He starts very, on a very foundational and simple level and builds from there. And this is perfect for those people who who aren't steeped in cyber, but because of the times we live in, we all now need to know something about... You mean like the ransomware attack? Uh, well, you know, if there's ever a book that uh, we published that was timely, this is it. Um, let's see. Last of the Enemies um, is a novel by Tom Glenn. Uh, Tom Glenn served... He was a spy in um, the Vietnam War, and until very recently, he, he couldn't divulge that... Um, there are pictures of him in army uniforms, in um, marine uniforms, as a press agent. Um, you know, he was he was a linguist and was basically giving uh, his interpretation to our leaders in Vietnam. And basically, he said, "Well, you know, had they listened to what I said, things would have been different." However, I told you so. I told you so. So this is um, a fictionalized account of his. Uh, experience. Um, Soldiers and Civilization is a new book that is out by Reed uh, Robert Bonadonna, and Bonadonna's thesis is that um, a duty of our soldiers, sailors, marines is to 
when they are deployed abroad, not only to to fight the mission, whatever that is, but part of the mission is to maintain the civilization of the country in which That's they That's a very interesting, themselves. yeah, yeah. You know, it's not to obliterate the literature, the language, the art. So like the prime director of Star Trek. <laughs> Dazzle, this is fabulous. Um, Dazzle by James Taylor, not the singer, is a, um, a lovely, fully illustrated, full-color uh, book on Dazzle camouflage, which is um, prevalent during World War I. Um, this looks at what was basically a 2,000-ship uh, artistic canvas where the ships sought um, to basically elude telescopes. Okay. So, kind of cool. Let me let me end with this one. Yes. All right. This was Holocaust Heroes. This, this one is very interesting. Let's, let's step away from all of the other beautiful Sorry. talk here. All right. Um, so, this is Holocaust Heroes by Mark Felton. By Mark Felton, Resistance to Hitler's Final Solution. We have just received um, this book in our warehouse. It's one of the titles that uh, we have uh, American and Canadian writes to and um, like some of the others it's chock full of photographs and um, you know it examines the little known but all too often tragic examples of Jewish resistance that uh, occurred during the Second World War. Wow. Alright, so your website is? Our website is www.usni.org Alright, thanks so much for the great information. Hi, this is the Great Sordini. You're listening to Richard Solomon on 88.1 FM WCWP. All right, Richard Solomon, day two of Book Expo. We're in uh, aisle 400, and, you know, you never know who you're going to meet. So I met Nick, who happens to be an astronaut. (laughs) You didn't become an astronaut the old-fashioned way. You kind of entrepreneured your way into it. Absolutely, I, I bought into it. <laughs> By the way, I, I want to say you entrepreneured, because that's so, so much more elegant. I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been an investor. You know, uh, I knew since, since I was 12 years of age. And I'll, I'll share the funny story. But anyway, uh, for the first 10 years of my life, I um, never went to academia. I was a sick, sick kid, chronic allergies, debilitating asthma. So I was homeschooled on my own curriculum. Okay. Uh, I grew up on the Britannica Encyclopedia, like every great parent. I, I actually have a set yeah. at home. Yeah, the Britannica yeah, Encyclopedia, yeah. and I grew up in the world of Tintin. You know, so I'm the love child of the of the series of Tintin and the Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, but my Lord, my Godfather, when I was ten, funny story, right? Yeah, when I was well enough to go to school, my health improved. He gave me a, gave me four pigeons. Uh, in Greek, we call Beristeria. You know, okay. so he gave me four pigeons, right? About nine months later, I've got about a hundred pigeons now. Uh, and about two years later, I've got 300 pigeons. One thing he failed to tell me was they're prolific breeders, right? <laughs> so outside my parents' home was this giant transformer, this huge transformer. And every time one of the birds would land that transformer, the entire power grid, the entire suburb, bang, boom. <laughs> Happened five times. Each repair of the transformer was like about five grand. So I cost the county about $25,000. Now they've sent legal letters to my parents saying the pigeons have to go. So I took... Um, 20 pigeons to see whether I can sell them at the um, at the market. Uh, ended up selling 20 pigeons for five dollars each, and I made a hundred dollars. Okay. The did, great thing did, was the pigeons have names. Um, not did you name names. them? So <laughs> the um, so I sold my first 20 pigeons, and the funny thing was, uh, 75% of those birds escaped, flew back to the house. I took them back to the market, and I sold them again. 
Oh, what? Oh, that's that is they the ultimate homing, recycling. They were they were homing pigeons, you know. Typical Greek. I discovered wealth creation <laughs> by selling homing pigeons. They would escape, fly back to the house, and I'll sell them back to the market. And I'm thinking, a couple of weeks later, I've still got 300 pigeons, but I've still made two or three hundred dollars now. You know, that was my original flirting with capitalism, and I knew that. Buddy and I had a relationship at a very young age. A good one, a good one. Yeah, so I managed to like learn you know, some valuable lessons along the way, made a, a ton of mistakes, but um, I, I wouldn't change anything because I am the result of every decision I've made in my life, you know? And for me, I love what, what I find most emotionally inspiring is teaching individuals, you know, how to, how to buy back their freedom, you know, buy back their liberties because, you know, you may be in control of your life, but really, money dominates every person's life. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. And the money drives most decisions, even especially, sadly, health. People sometimes don't it is. don't pick. It's, it's the biggest driver yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But 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 the thing is this: what people don't understand, and most pundits out there who teach money, they've got no idea because a lot of them speak from theory. They're not out there. I mean, for me, number one, my rule is this: I want to design a life that was on my terms, my conditions, more fun, more freedom, more, more fulfillment. My entrepreneurial business life had to work around my lifestyle. Academia teaches you where your lifestyle has to work around your job. That's right. That's and absolutely 100%. Is academia, five days a week, 40 hours a week, eight hours a day. That was your indoctrination. That was your apprenticeship to getting a job. And now you're in a job, you're working five days a week, 40 hours a week, eight hours a day. More than 40 hours a week. And my point Much is more. This, yeah, yeah. 95% of adult Americans are dead broke. Why? Because they're using 100% of their active income with after-tax dollars to service their lifestyle. That's so 100% true, yes. For me, I, I have you know, I had multiple entrepreneurial um, streams that I basically developed one over two. And then I utilized those income streams to invest, whether it's water, whether it's land, or whether it's residential property. Then the revenue generated from there was the money that I used to fund my lifestyle and my adventures and you know from through that you know it was kind of like this entrepreneurial alchemy if you want to call it and it's a good word yeah yeah so being a five-day week in lifestyle strategies you know i i spent 270 days out of the field traversing the planet i have been to 145 countries i have 51 more countries than i've done the entire planet after wow. that i am ripe for alien abduction would you help me <laughs> I, I've interviewed a lot of people, but right now Martians haven't called. Absolutely, definitely, Martians. If you're there, I'm but, ready. But you know, we, I'm maybe we can help you terraform another planet. Well, maybe what we can do is we'll call the radio telescope people and see what but, they can do for us. I am there. I did go to Star Trek Fifty, and I met all the NASA people, <laughs> and, I, and I have some connections at the Air and Space Museum in Long Island called that's the Cradle awesome, of Aviation. Definitely. So that's you know. So, I mean, so let's talk about some of these adventures that you yes. funded. All right. So I heard, I heard you slept in a volcano and you yeah, had lunch I climbed the Titanic. Volcano. I so, liked the shipwreck Titanic. Why? Because I'm a Greek. It's the immigrant dream. My parents spent three, four days, three, four months on a ship fleeing the old world to the new world. So for me, the um, the immigrant dream, the immigrant dream, and fleeing a country for a better life, it just resonated with me. And I tell you the most surreal thing about the Titanic: I'm five miles deep. I had lunch on the bow. I had a shot of vodka, some chocolate, some tuna sandwiches, and the most emotional point was looking outside this five-inch acrylic glass. And the entire shipwreck Titanic was littered with suitcases. Oh, wow. Suitcases back then were made out of leather, and leather does not decompose. Really? These were the suitcases of the immigrants and the drains of the immigrants. Oh, in the steerage class? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. Wow. 
because no. the rich and the elite, they escaped in the lifeboats. But the uh, immigrants were locked up in steerage class in third class. Which also goes to money, which is, you know, money-driving decisions and fate. Absolutely. If that doesn't t- teach you anything... I tell, look, look I, I love education, but I feel like academia is failing society. Because oh, I, I can guarantee you this. You know, and, and, I, and I, I speak to a lot of millennials. If, if academia had a refund policy, I can guarantee you every millennial will take up that refund policy. Because it doesn't service you or furnish you with what you need out there in the real world. So what are the tips and strategies that you talk about in your five-day weekend? Get paid to think. Because those who, pay, those who get paid to work work for those who get paid to think. Ah. Never get paid by the hour. Always get paid by the amount of value you bring to the hour. Okay, that's because yeah, the truth is in, in terms of uh, the world, I'm a lawyer. Uh, every, you know, and, and I deal with you know architects and engineers and other people, accountants and everybody's hourly. Absolutely. How many hours can you work and how many hours per... Two things can happen. You charge- need more money, you, you, you either raise your hours. So you're financially training more time for money. And the thing is, if you work in 50... Look, the universe will allot you no more than 168 hours a week. That's right. If you're working 90 hours a week, okay, you're going to be sleeping at least 60 hours. You're already up to what? 150 hours. What about time for food? The average food, individual shopping, spends 15, hours, <laughs> uh, 15 to 20 hours a month just on Facebook. Wow. So you have this whole social media thing going on. Oh, by the way, we never even talked about uh, your space exploration thing. How, yep. How so I basically happen? funded my dreams with, with the Russians. The Russians had a space program for civilians, uh, cashed up civilians. But one of the, uh, the criteria was you had to pass all the exams, all the health, psychological testing, all the simulator. So basically I was training alongside cosmonauts and NASA astronauts. But they used their academic qualifications. I used... The entrepreneurial, Your financial qualification. bank cash flow to fund my dream. Where, where, what part of Russia is the space? In Star City, which oh. is like the Cape Canaveral. Right. So right. Star City, back in the other the Soviet days, was a hidden base. Not even NATO knew of its, of its existence. Hidden out in the woods in a pine forest, you know, and um, that's where Yuri Gagarin trained, and that's where the Russians led the space race up until 1969 when. Um, the Americans finally landed on the moon. Now, just for point of trivia, when uh, it was the 50th anniversary of Yuri's yep. shot, I Yuri actually interviewed the cosmonauts that were on the International Space Station because they had a big ceremony on Long Island to Excellent. honor the 50 well, years. So, the, you know. um, so how long did you train for? I spent two years. Okay. And then... Uh, so basically, um, uh, being to the stratosphere, I've been in space. And I'm actually mission allocation status for a future flight to the International Space Station. Okay. So I can spend a couple of months up there. And I'll probably do my book launch for my next book up there, too. All right. So I want to ask a favor, Absolutely. which is, can I interview you while you're in space from my radio station? Done. All Done. right. See that? So we'll have to Done. exchange information. Because I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. Because I've had lots of call-ins, but nobody from outer space. Oh, they've all been land-based. So I'll work on the Martians for you, yeah. and you work on the International Space Station for me. Absolutely. When is your launch set for? March. March of 18. March 2018. All right. And then how long are you going to be up for? Do you know how long, what is the duration of your space flight? Well, for, for, the, uh, for the flight to the ISS, that'll yeah. be um, anywhere up to two months. All right, cool. And uh, as, a, as a private civilian, and uh, it's, I mean, I can go on uh, no, please, hours and hours about that. Uh, this, what, what, do you want to, what do you want to do up there? Uh, obviously, experiments, reach out to young kids, inspire them, inspire the next generation kind of thing. I mean... You know, it's like probably somebody listening, probably a, a young kid listening with his parent right now, could be the next kid, um, you know, in 20 years' time, 
uh, being one of the first astronauts to go to Mars kind of thing. So who knows? I want to inspire. I mean, you know, for me, I want to illuminate. I want to inspire individuals and provide them the wisdom because I would have loved to have had a mentor when I was growing up. Uh, I guess you're going to be the men- you're going to be the mentor that you wanted to be yeah. for a lot of other people. Absolutely, definitely. So I want to provide a path. So t- to inspire me as a broadcaster, what what do you what do you like to see in the media to do something different that you don't no- normally see? What is the wisdom that you like to say to us as media people? Because yeah, teach more th- entrepreneurs because it's entrepreneurs that's going to cure America's financial cancer because a lot of individuals of the adult population. By 35, they've got financial diabetes. By 65, they've got financial cancer. And they're in a hurry to retire. Why? Because they despise their life. The only reason why you want to retire is because you despise your life. Right, because if you really want it, you just keep going. Because why would you... uh, For example, like, have you designed... And uh, for for the listeners right now, I want to ask you a question. Have you designed a life you donated vacation from? Think about that. For most people, the answer is no. Because most individuals, unfortunately, look, with all best intentions... But they're working Monday to Friday, and they can parole for the weekend. Friday, they're celebrating. Why? Like to thank God it's Friday franchise, you know? Saturday, they're, they're ecstatic. They get to sleep in. Sunday, they're depressed because they're thinking about going to work the next day. Monday is the number one day for suicides. I can see that. Yeah. Look, I see that with my, with my, my kids when, when it's like coming going to school. It's like, ah, you know, like Monday's the toughest day to get them motivated. Exactly. So my point is, I don't go by days. I go by dates. Because I never, because if you go by days, it shapes the it shapes your emotions pertaining to that particular day. So, so I have to ask you a, a, a completely different question. Yes. How many languages did you speak? Because you I must speak four. right. Because you must speak Russian to to, to I speak be on Greek, the speak English, right. Russian, and learning Spanish now. Wow, and I, I'm sure that is and a trip. Tough for an adult. It's very very tough. Well, languages. Your native language was Greek? Yep, that was my first right. language. And then what was your second? I learned English when I, was, when I was about seven. Okay. And then and how, how good are you at Russian now? Because you probably need to know um, very technical it's, words. It's very technical words. Very Russian is very grammar-related, too. And if I don't use it, I lose words pretty easy. So I like to be around Russians whenever I can. And, um, you know, speak just... It's like anything. Like if you don't use it, you're gonna lose it. That's just life. So, so, sort of in English, you probably know all these complicated financial terms, and in Russian, you know all these science and technology terms. Well, in English and financial terms, I have the ability to, you know, remove all the hieroglyphics. <laughs> okay. And you know, you don't have to be like a financial Egyptologist, for example. So I make it very, very easy to understand, to digest, and absorb. Because the reason why financials finance is very difficult for people is because all these brokers and advisors, they use complicated language to impress people that I particularly like in the first place. So what I do is, I, I don't overcomplicate it, there's no paralysis, I keep it nice and simple, you know, just nice bite-sized chunks, nuts and bowls, step by step by step. And it's not, I mean, what I'm teaching is this, how to create your own stimulus plan. Don't wait for your government or your president to give you a stimulus plan. It'll never happen. Create your own economy, not your government's economy, because your government's economy is always going to let you down, just like your politicians going to let you down. Always create your own economy, future-proof yourself, recession-proof yourself, know how to anticipate what's going to happen next. And most importantly, invest in yourself. In your own brand. Absolutely. Invest in this. And like I said before, get paid to think and outsource the administration of your ideas to others. All right. That was a phenomenal interview. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. And I need your phone number at the space station so I can call you. All right. All right, Richard Solomon from aisle 1800. David Fonsworth, how are you? You're, 
Are you from Are you from Pennsylvania? You don't have a Pennsylvania accent. No, I'm from the UK originally, but I live in Pennsylvania, and live just outside Philly. Okay. So, what do you guys do? So, Casemate is a publisher. Um, we've been going about 16 years. We publish military history books, and we distribute military history books from the UK into the US market. Okay. And what are the books that are you featuring this year at the show? So, the big two that we're featuring this year are this book, uh, Special Forces Berlin by James Stayskull. He was involved with the uh, U.S. Army's elite special forces operation that was in Berlin during the Cold War. It was top secret, and they've just, this has just been cleared t- uh, this year to be uh, released, the story. That is very exciting, yeah, actually. It's very exciting. The book is doing incredibly well for us. And then the other one that we're featuring is this book, On the Front Lines of the Television War, by uh, Terry Irving. And this features a Japanese-born cameraman who worked for ABC News all throughout the Vietnam War. It's a spectacular account of uh, being in Vietnam from somebody who was there. So those are, those are the two big books that we're featuring. And then we have a whole range of books um, from various distribution clients that we do here. And why, why don't you mention some of them? Okay, so we've got a great book here on uh, the Jet Provost. This is a famous aircraft. That, a bunch of other aircraft books. We've got some memoirs uh, from people who are flying. Great book on uh, the uh, world's greatest sniper. We published this back in, uh, back in, the, in the winter. Uh, we've got these wonderful books on the Luftwaffe, a great archive of colour photos that we found in a, in a French archive. Never been published before, two volumes, selling really well. And then from Pen & Sword, which is our biggest distribution client, they do these great um, a- aviation intelligence books, photographs, a- a- um, what do you call them? Books upside down. <laughs> So these are uh, aerial photographs, aerial reconnaissance photographs from the Second World War, and they're brilliant because you can actually see the progress of the battle through the photographs, so that's kind of cool. Uh, great book on the War for Africa by Fred Bridgeland, talking about all the various uh, wars um, in the 20th century in Africa. It's a revised edition of a classic book that came out in the 70s. Fantastic book on the Blitzkrieg by Nicholas Zetterling. He's one of the top military historians in, uh, on, on the Eastern Front, the Second World War. He's based in Sweden. And that's the fifth book of his that we've published, doing really well. Ancient History, book on cataphracts, Civil War, uh, everything you can think of in uh, military history. We either publish it or distribute it. Wow. All right. Is there a website that people can go there to? Is. You go to casematepublishers.com and you can see 5,500 military history books. All right. Thank you for your time here today. You're welcome. So hopefully uh, we'll get that call into space as you heard earlier today. We'll be seeing you next week. Thanks for listening. And check us out on YouTube at TCB Radio WCWP.